listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. What is the very next action that you need to take that will grow your business? Questions like this are not asked enough among entrepreneurs, and because of this, we spend most of our time working on the wrong things. My guest today is Jay Papazan. He is the co-author of many best-selling books alongside Gary Keller. In this episode, Jay is going to share his high-level points from his most popular book, The One Thing. This conversation will help you discover the most important thing that you need to do next to grow your business. For links to resources that we mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 073. I hope that you're ready to begin achieving extraordinary results in your life and business. Here is my conversation with Jay Papazan. Jay, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. I know you were just uh, doing a virtual event, which I'm excited to be your first interview after that. So really excited for, uh, for what you guys got going on over there. Thanks a lot. We're all about education here. Just love it. And that was our our biggest virtual event by far with about 35,000 attendees. That's exciting. Love it. I'm looking forward to getting into your book, The One Thing, which I told you before we started, I'd actually not read it before 2020. That was the first time anyone ever mentioned the book to me. And it's been around for a little while. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, I can't believe I didn't find this sooner. And there's a lot of reasons why I would have needed it sooner, which we'll get into today. But uh, thank you for writing this book. This is fantastic. Uh, it was life changing for me. I'm the co author with Gary Keller. And Man, I started working for him when I was 30, and my life has changed immeasurably for the better. He's been a great mentor and great running partner on these books. I love hearing that because I'm somebody who's also in a partnership. So hearing about long-term partnership success like you and Gary have is definitely inspiring. So thank you for that. So we've prepared a pretty powerful episode for the listeners today. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So Jay, you ready to get started? Let's do it. So the book is broken into three parts, The Lies, The Truths, and The Extraordinary Results. We're going to be getting into each of the three parts today. But before we do that, can you please explain the meaning of the one thing? It's, a, it's an incredibly simple idea, so much so that I think people underestimate it. But I mean, we could have called the book Focus, but I don't think anybody would have read it. But that's really what it's about, right? If you focus your energies on something that matters you're a lot more likely to accomplish it or take it farther than you would otherwise. So I think a lot of times, especially today, um, for entrepreneurs, you know, your audience, you have a lot of people who are starting businesses. You have to wear a lot of hats, right? So you're your own marketer and you're your own, you know, director of first impressions. You have to answer the phone. You have to, I mean, you might have to be the janitor if you actually have a space. That's what entrepreneurship's about. It becomes very hard to know what your number one is and it becomes even harder to stick to it. And I think this book is a practical guide to identifying your number one and how to start doing it on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm excited to jump into it because it actually really helped me a lot to to rethink and refocus. I know that could have been the name of it. I'm glad you didn't call it that. But it did cause <laughs> me to, to rethink what my one thing was and to focus on it once again. So I'm excited to jump into this day because I believe it's going to add just a ton of value to the creating a brand audience today. So the first part of it is what you call the lies. This is what misleads us and derails us. I want to start off by talking about chapter four, which is everything matters equally. Can you talk to us about this a little bit? Sure. It's a pattern in the books that I get to write with Gary is that before we go into how we want you to think, we want to try to get the bad ideas out of the way. So in some books, we've called it the myths or misunderstandings. In this book, we called it the lies, just so people understand the context. And 
the number one kind of uh, lie between people and extreme productivity was this idea that everything matters equally. And I actually don't think that people are going to argue that everything matters equally, but that's in fact, that's actually how they treat most of their tasks. Hmm. And most people listening to this have a to-do list of some kind. Maybe they use an app on their phone, maybe they're good old fashioned sticky notes or a notebook, but they have a list of all the stuff that they have to get done in order to feel like they're being successful. The big challenge that we tried to, to, to make to that idea in this chapter of the book is what a, a to-do list lacks is priority. And when we don't have priority, we can be busy, but not necessarily productive. And it all hinges on the 80-20 rule, which I'm sure your listeners have heard of. And it basically says the minority of what we do, often 20%, will deliver the majority of what we want, which is often, scarily so, 80%. And so what we want people to do is to take their to-do list and turn it into a success list of all the things that they could do, identify the handful that they really should or must do, and then put those in the order of priority. And it's a simple, like a two-minute drill. You can take your list and just ask the question, if I could only get one of these things done today or this week, whatever the time period is, which one would be the most impactful? That goes onto a new list and is your number one. And then you continue through the list. And most people will go from a list of 20 to 25 items, tasks, and they'll realize there are only about three or four priorities that actually matter. And this is very liberating, Alex, because now I can start my day with my number one. And even if I just do that one thing versus the 30 things that are also on the list, I actually know that I did the most productive thing. It's not about how many things we check off. It's about which one we choose to check off. That's just a bunch. I just threw at you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does make sense. Creating your success list off of your to-do list forces you to focus on the 20% of the work that's actually driving 80% of the results, which in turn is going to cause us to succeed much faster. Now, we'll say this. If we're converting from a to-do list, which might have a lot of different things to check on it, to a success list, which might just have one, two, or three things on it, we're going to have far less checks at the end of the day. What do you say to the busy entrepreneur that just loves having a bunch of things to check off every day? This might be a challenge for some people. It's one of the things, I don't know if you're an inbox zero guy, and this is going to like horrify some of your listeners, but like at some point I realized that the hamster wheel of trying to get my inbox to zero was a lot of activity, but not much productivity. Hmm. Like what is the actual benefit of getting to zero other than psychic relief? I think that we treat our to-do list the same way. So we look at our list, we got a bunch of stuff to do. Instead of doing the important thing, and I'm guilty of this too. I've got my hand raised. Like I am also guilty. My name is Jay Papazan. I am guilty of doing this. I will pick the things that I can do the fastest because mm -hmm. what I actually want emotionally is to make the list shorter. That doesn't really work in business. What you want to do is to do the most impactful thing. That other stuff, those are little brush fires. They're going to go out. You can put those out with your foot. It's the big ones that we have to focus on. Yeah, I've actually found this to be true. There's there's sometimes where I'll put off a task that isn't really important and it isn't urgent, but it's one of those things that's on the to-do list. And a few days will go by and then I'll realize that, oh, guess what? It already got done by somebody else. I didn't actually need to do that anyway, but it, it sat on the to-do list. But I think that many of us, it, it causes a little anxiety when we watch the to-do list grow. Do you <laughs> recommend still writing everything out and then making a success list every day after that or every week, whatever it might be? What, what are your thoughts on someone who's saying, well, this idea even stresses me out that we're talking about right now? Um, I think the rhythm for me, minimum is weekly. 
And you could do it daily. And I know people who do this and are very successful. Um, they look at all their to-dos and daily, they just identify their top three. And frankly, if you go back to the four-hour work week with Tim Ferriss, that was one of the fundamental big ideas in that book, is just mm -hmm. every day understand what your top three are and do them. So we're just trying to take it a little narrower. We just want you to know what your number one is. And I think that um, we have a system, we call it the 411, and that's just a longer conversation. But basically, we want to break down our goals. Um, like we have big goals that might go out five years. Based on that, what are we going to do this year? Based on that, what are we going to do this month? All the way down to the week, I'll have like my weekly things I think are important. I just want to know what my number one is and then go to my calendar and know that I have time dedicated to doing it. And that weekly check-in, I usually do it on Fridays or Sundays, depends on the week. I identify my number one for the following week and I make sure I have time allotted for it. Yeah, I'll often do three or four other things, but I know what my number one is. When you know what you're saying yes to, it's really easy to say no to the other stuff. That is just one of the, the weird principles involved in this. What am I actually saying yes to? It's not what I'm saying no to. It's what am I saying yes to that allows you to say no to all the trivial stuff. Jay, when I started doing this, when I first took up this this challenge to make a success list instead of a to-do list, I initially thought it was going to cause a lot of anxiety because I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm not going to be able to check off more than maybe two or three things all day, starting with the most important, but I actually found it to be more freeing than anything else because it gave me, once again, that permission to work on what is actually going to drive my business and life forward. And there's a quote that you mentioned here, doing the most important thing is always the most important thing. And I think that's just such a powerful point. Like it's simple, right? But it is so true. So for the Creating a Brand listeners today, I want to challenge you. Try converting your to-do list into a success list and just see how it makes you feel and see the results. Look at it after just a couple of weeks and see what have happened. I'll tell you this, Alex. I was worried when we were writing this book that people wouldn't know what their number one is. And I really had some distress. Like what if people can't figure that out? And now having taught this to probably tens of thousands of people now, I look up and realize 99% of the world knows what their number one is, but they're not stopping long enough to ask the question. So I'm not actually worried that people will look at the list and not know, or at least have a really good idea what their number one is. Most people are just so busy that they're not stopping to ask the question of all of this stuff that I could do, what really should I do? Doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. And like you said, it's really a relief when you realize that there's stuff on that list that doesn't matter that much. That's uh, so true. I want to move along here for sake of time, sure. because I think we could get stuck on this one for a while, but it's such a valuable point. So I'm, I'm hoping the listeners are really taking this to heart. Uh, talking about two more lies I want to cover really briefly, the first of which is multitasking. Uh, you have a quote in here as well. It says multitasking is merely an opportunity to screw up more than one thing at a time. Can you, talk, <laughs> can you, can you talk about this a little bit? Because uh, for me, that used to be on my resume. I used to be able to say able to multitask without getting stressed. Um, it was it an was item you could check on monster.com back in the yeah, day. Like it was that. seen as an actual attribute of success. And women will tell you they can do it better than men. There's a lot of myths around this. <laughs> if you go into the science, um, they'll have multitasking often the title, but what you're actually learning about is what's called switch tasking. And so what's actually happening in your brain is that it's switching its focus back and forth, walking and talking, whatever that is, really rapidly, and we're not really aware of it. But what does happen is that when you start actively switching back and forth, your efficiency, your efficiency starts dropping. And so I'll give you one little fun bit of research that showed up after we wrote the book. 
Um, we've added it to some editions. I don't know that you got that one, but there was a group that did uh, compared IQ tests from three different groups. One group just took an IQ test. Um, one group took an IQ test while multitasking. They were regularly interrupted by emails and telephone calls. And then they had to keep taking the IQ test while juggling those tasks. And then a third group got to take an IQ test while stoned. Right. So you got the three groups. <laughs> the reason we know about this, right, you're laughing already, is you kind of you can see where this is headed, is that unsurprisingly, the people who were focused scored on average 10 to 11 IQ points higher than the other two groups. Hmm. And the difference between 110 and 100 is huge. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a big gap, not a small gap. What surprised people is the people who were stoned on average scored six points higher than the people who were multitasking. Really? So I could go through about seven or eight different ways to look at this. Um, it's going to take you anywhere from 25 to 100% longer to do something when you're doing two things at once. Your error rate is going to go through the roof, and it's going to actually make you dumber. So the question is, why do we do multitasking? I think it's because we see that long list and we think, gosh, I'll just knock out two things at once. And so here's where I'm going to let everybody off the hook, because if they're an entrepreneur, the chances that like you, they're proud of their multitasking is very high, right? Right. right. <laughs> so they're jogging or they're driving going, oh, crap, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm multitasking while I'm driving or jogging, whatever. Um, when you identify your number one tomorrow, make a commitment on your number one task that you won't multitask while you're doing it. And then just see how that goes. That's usually what I ask for from people. And what we found is that when you're doing the thing that matters most in any era of your life, if you'll just commit to not multitasking while you do that, uh, sometimes you get addicted to the productivity that shows up and you'll want to stop multitasking in other areas. But otherwise, I mean, I'm looking at my Apple iPhone or if you've got a great Google, I mean, there are engineers and these tech companies that make a bajillion dollars to distract us and try right. to entice us to multitask. We're not going to win that battle every minute of every day. Right. And I'm not even sure it's worth it. I like to listen to audiobooks while I walk. I like to listen to audiobooks and podcasts while I drive. I can do those activities at a high enough level, even if I'm at 45% capacity, I'm not going to endanger anybody and I'm not going to really reduce my learning by so much. Like there are some things that doesn't matter. But if you're number one today, like you've got a new child and it's your chance to read to them, right? Be focused while you do that. It's not just business. Figure out what your real priority is. Try not to multitask while you do it. I promise you, you'll do better at it. You'll be smarter while you'll do it and it'll take less time. We'll get right back to today's episode. But first, I want to share the number one organic marketing strategy for growing your brand. It's called podcast guesting. Whether you're an established business owner or an entrepreneur that's just getting started, being a guest on podcast is the smartest marketing move that you can make. To help you become a successful guest, I've put together a 12-step guide for podcast guesting, which will explain everything from the gear you need to quickly finding the ideal podcast to be a guest on. If you'll visit creatingabrand.com slash guest, you'll be able to get started immediately. No email or registration required. I trust that this 12-step guide will serve you well in your podcast guesting journey. And now let's get back to today's episode.
I like the challenge you just gave to the Creating a Brand listeners today, which is when they make that success list, the number one thing on it, do that one thing without multitasking and just see how it goes. I think that's a great challenge that they're going to love the results too, because that's a practice that I have put into place and it has helped me immensely. So uh, for sake of time, again, I got to move along here because I sure. really want to get to this last part in the the lies section. Um, and it's the lie that big is bad. Can you talk to us about this for a moment? <laughs> this is a fight. Um, we had five and we added this one as a sixth. And our publisher is like, guys, this is in the business self-help section. Who thinks that big is bad? And Gary and <laughs> I... Who me the most? Man, this me the most out of all of them. And, and I'm very happy that we kept the chapter in the book, Alex, I am. But what we knew is we've seen lots of people who are starting businesses. And the truth is, if you start following some of the fundamental practices, right, doing a success list, not multitasking while you do it. Some of the other lies are about taking that number one thing that's great for your business and turning it into a habit, right? Selective discipline. If you've read the book, you know some of those. You start doing just a handful of those on any kind of a regular basis, your results are going to start showing up and they're going to show up scary fast. And what a lot of people immediately do is they hit the panic button and they want to slam on the brakes. And you'll hear them saying, I just want a small, comfortable business. I want to have small family business. Like they're afraid of, wow, if I keep growing at this rate, I'll have to hire people. I'll have to have a payroll. And they start imagining that actually big success only comes with really big problems. And I think the challenge to that for a lot of people is that we have really poor role models when it comes to big success. And if we had better role models, we might be a little bit less afraid of that big coming down the pipeline because you would never tell your kid to think small, right? We would want them to think big and go for the biggest relationships and build big models in their business and their lives. We would want them to go big in every possible way, but it, we struggle to take that advice ourselves. So big is bad is one of those, it's the dirty secret of self-help is that once people start scaling up and being successful, a lot of times it actually terrifies them and they need a better model for going forward. Yeah, you actually have a word that you've created that's going to end up in a dictionary one day. We both agree this. Uh, beating, <laughs> mega, <laughs> beating megaphobia, the irrational fear of big, as you call it in the book, which is actually something that I've struggled with quite a bit. And I didn't even really realize it was subconscious until I actually picked up a copy of this book. The way it really spoke to me, I'm in a little bit of a different phase or have been when I first picked up this book. It was in the uh, in the aerospace industry and I've been in there for a mm -hmm. long time. So my idea was, well, I'm going to build a business to get myself out of this, to really flex my entrepreneurial journey. The only vision I could have for myself was, could I replace my income? And that's as big as I could dream. And I wasn't thinking big. I was just thinking, okay, how can I replace this job with an income that's equal to it? Instead of thinking, okay, how can I make this bigger? And you mentioned something in the book in this chapter that says, what you build today will either empower or restrict you tomorrow. Yep. And I was thinking about something that was going to restrict me, that was going to put myself into a box. And I think that many people listening today, they might be really early in their, their startup that they want to do. And all they're thinking about is, can I replace my full-time income right now so I can do this full-time? But I think well, we need to aim a little bit higher than that. Yeah. And, 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 and like you're in the aerospace industry, I was an English major. So if we both, like we, we take our timelines and reduce them to starting a business venture, I might have thought your goal was really big because you don't make a lot of money in publishing. And I'm only imagining that maybe you make a little bit more in aerospace. I'm just guessing. Mm -hmm. But the reality is whenever we set a goal as big as we can think at that time in our lives, we're going to start building kind of habits and rituals. We're going to have business processes. 
we're going to have relationships that reflect those goals, right? If you're thinking that your business is going to net you 150000 a year, you're going to f- get a relationship with an attorney and a CPA that are appropriate to that level. The challenge becomes if you keep growing, those relationships, those models, those behaviors may not be big enough. So instead of it being a platform for you to stand on, it becomes a box that can kind of trap you in patterns of behavior, which are a lot harder to change over time. So we always encourage people, think as big as you possibly can, then probably triple or double it, right, at the very least, Mm -hmm. and then ask the question, based on that, what should I be doing? Because the truth is, if you're aiming for a million dollars in income, most people won't hit it. You will fall short. So if you really need a million dollars in income, aim a lot higher than that and see if you can build models that will get you half of the way there, but will actually get to that goal. It's a mental trick. Um, I'll give you one example, Alex. When we launched this book, I mean, I've been in publishing now for almost 25 years. We did the research and we felt like to make this a number one bestseller, we would have to sell about 40,000 copies in one month, in one month, right? To be a number one New York Times bestseller. And I came up with a plan. It took like our whole team, like a whole organization around this. I planned, how can we sell 40,000 copies of this book in one month? And I brought it to Gary. And Gary's like, didn't we just write the book on this? And I just, I just was embarrassed. And I was thinking as big as I'd ever thought in my career, much bigger than I'd ever thought for myself or any book that we'd written. And he goes, you know that 40,000, if that's the minimum we need to know that we'll hit the goal, you need a plan that's for like 100,000. You have a week. Go show me Mm. the plan for 100,000. Wow. And it blew my mind. I mean, I remember going to my uh, colleague, Ellen Marks, who was running marketing at that time. And I was like, what are we going to do? Do we just double everything? And we really had to think outside the box. And we did come up with a couple of really big new ideas because we were asking a much bigger, much more uncomfortable suggestion, right? This 100,000 copies in a month. Well, guess what? Go forward in time. We execute on the 100,000 copy plan. How many do you think we actually sold in that first month? Probably closer to your initial goal, right? 44,000. And if we hadn't thought bigger, right, we would have never, ever gotten there. We would have not hit our goal. We have not been a number one bestseller. And so I just want to encourage people. It's been every year that I've worked with Gary, the gift that he's given me and hopefully the people you hang out with listening to Alex on this podcast, you want to be listening, reading, involving yourself in a community of people that will always be pushing you to think bigger than you can currently think for yourself. I promise you, it's so uncomfortable. That's what growth feels like, but you'll never regret it. Love it. Beating megaphobia. I'm still sticking to that. That's what that megaphobia. is. Right there. That's right. It's going to be the dictionary someday. <laughs> someday. I love that. So that kind of covers part one that we're going to cover today. And those are the lies. Again, that's everything matters equally. Multitasking is helpful, which we know it's not now. And big is bad, which we now know that big is actually good and even required. So moving on to the second part is where we talk about some of the truths. This is the simple path to productivity. And I really just want to cover the one section here, which is the focusing question. Can you talk to us about this question? You know, it's a, it's a question that was born from probably a thousand consulting calls and coaching calls with Gary. Wow. And um, the question reads this way, and I'm sure you can put it in the show notes so people don't have to try to copy it into their phone while they're driving or jogging. Yep, it'll be there. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? And it's, it's a series of about three things. It's what's the one thing not four or five things, or what could I do? It's what's the one thing 
I can do. And so you're asking your brain to come up with one idea that you can currently do. It's not a could do or a should do. There's a great um, Shel Silverstein poem that we used to read to my kids, and we actually put it in the in, in the margins of the book. All the woulda, coulda, shouldas all ran away and hid from one little did. By going right. immediately to action, it starts a feedback loop, right? The wouldas and the coulds can be way in the future. You want to go into action such that by doing it, all that means is it's a leveraged opportunity. We use the, the metaphor of lining up dominoes in the book. So we're looking for the longest row of dominoes that you could currently line up so that by knocking over that first one, a bunch will fall down. And the scale of that is that everything else gets easier or necessary. So I get it. It's a mouthful, right? And if you have the book, you'll see that we put the question on the back of the book instead of quotes and testimonials, and we kept it there because the one thing we wanted people to do after reading this book was to ask that question. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? And the scary thing is, is that people stop to ask the question almost every time they either get the right answer or so close to, close to it, they'll know within a couple of iterations that what they need to do to change it. So it's a very powerful question that gets you to a big question for a big answer. And there's a quote in this book that I've heard many places as well, but the quality of an answer is directly determined by the quality of the question. And like you're saying, this is a high quality question that took you thousands of calls to be able to, to come up with and develop, but it really is finding that one thing that you can do that will make everything else not matter as much or easier or unnecessary is such an important thing. And I, this question sits on my whiteboard now. And it's something that I can ask myself every day when I'm building that success list instead of my to-do list. It's what's the one thing that will make everything else easier or unnecessary. So I love this question. The, I'll give you the origin story. And in my brain, it's rattled. So I, you can tell me, you've read the book three times. Is it, I don't believe this is in there. But Gary was in a coaching call and the rhythm of it was you'd have a 30 minute coaching call and the next week you had to show up and you made a, an agreement, you know, Alex, between this week and next week, what are the things I'm going to do? And you'd list them out. And Gary got very frustrated because a lot of his clients, and these were the best people in our system that got his time for coaching, right? He's the chairman of the board and the founder, and they were getting his time for coaching. And most of the time they would knock off a few things on the list, but they would almost never do the number one thing. And he got so frustrated, it was really kind of in anger and frustration that he finally kind of said, Alex, between this week and next week, what's the one thing that you're going to do? And he started playing with that language. And what his mm -hmm. great surprise was, is the next week, when they only had one thing on their list, guess what happened? Yeah, they got it done. They got it done. There was no place to hide. You can't say, right. I did two through five. You only had one thing on your list. Did you do it or not? And so people started doing it. And then the thing that was really amazing was when they did their one thing, guess what? They went ahead and did the other stuff anyway. Hmm, so it wow. didn't matter talking about the other stuff. Let's just talk about the first domino. And if we really focus on that, this other stuff will happen. That's really the origin story. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think that that's in the book, at least not in the version I'm reading. So there thank you, you for sharing I, that. I was almost sure, but you know, it's been a long week, so I wasn't sure. Right, <laughs> right. So moving on to the, the third section, this is extraordinary results, unlocking the possibilities within you. The first one is to live by priority. And this is where you talk about how to really set goals that can be achieved and how you can figure out what how to answer that that one thing that you need to do on a given day. Can you run us through that framework? Because I believe is just is oh, yeah. so powerful. Oh. 
Totally. That's like one of my favorite topics, goal setting to the now. Um, and this, I alluded to this earlier, and this is a life skill um, that I kind of pulled out of Gary because he, he jumped to an answer and I said, how did you do that? And he started showing me his math, basically. And we kind of reverse engineered this framework. The goal setting to the now is taking a future goal and bringing it into the present. And the beauty of that is when something's in the future, we have very little motivation to take action. A future reward doesn't have very much pull, but if we can somehow tease our mind into making it present, we're a lot more likely to do the things that matter. And here's the truth. You're building a business. I wanna, I'm going to go back to your original, what you think of now as a small goal. I want to build a business to replace my income because in the beginning, that is a big goal. Mm -hmm. How do I know how to behave this week to, in order to have that happen later? That's the question we're trying to solve. So the framework works like this. What's my one thing, right, that such that by doing it, everything else will be easier and necessary someday? Like, what's that someday goal way out in the future? And now we start working backwards. Based on my someday goal, let's just say I'm going to replace my income someday. Where would I have to be in five years to feel like I was absolutely on track for that? What would I have to accomplish, the one thing, to feel like I'm absolutely on track for that someday goal? Well, you write that down. And I'll be frank with you, five years in the future in this age of technology, it's kind of crystal ball stuff, right? right, right. We're, we're talking directional, not scientific answers. Well, now we start with the five-year, not the someday, and say, based on that five-year goal, let's just say your five-year goal was to be 75% of your income. What would you have to do in one year to feel like you're on track for your five-year goal? And now you might say, well, I'd have to earn 25% of my income. Well, now it's probably a little bit more specific, right? You took that outcome in five years, you might've divided it by five if it was numeric, or you came up with some formula that we can think in terms of about five years. Beyond that, it's really scary. But now mm -hmm. we get really accurate. Based on our annual goal, not the someday or the five-year, based on our one-year goal, what do we have to accomplish this month to be on track for that? And then based on our monthly goal, what do we have to do this week to be on track for that? And based on our weekly goal, what do we have to do today? And basically on our daily goal, what do we have to do now? You see how we're just shortening the time frame? We're working our yeah. way backwards. And the trick here is when you ask someone, what should you do next? We tend to look at the next best alternative. What's the, the easiest thing in our quiver, the, the best chess move that we can currently see? Just like a chess master, though, if we work our way backwards, directionally, we know that we're heading in the right direction, even if that first move we lose our castle or we lose our queen, but directionally, we know we're going in the right direction because we actually have a bigger goal. So it's one of those weird, crazy things that working backwards from a goal makes us so much more likely, even though there's all that guesswork on the front end, makes us so much more likely to be headed in the right direction to begin with. But it, it's one of my favorite things to teach young people, because if we can learn that skill, it's a muscle, how to work backwards from a goal, reverse engineer something. It's magical what you can do with that over time. Goal setting to the now is seriously such a powerful idea. It really reminds me of Stephen Covey's second law from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is to begin with the end in mind. Yeah. I think that many of us, myself included, when we're planning our goals, we just think ahead. We don't ever pull ourselves into the future and then start backtracking from there. I know this is something that would have helped me a long time ago, as I've already said. But after hearing this, it's a bit of a light bulb for, I think, so many people who hear it. It's very practical and simple to implement. You know, it's something, you, the word simple is coming up a lot. 
And I remember when we, we have a little over 5,000 reviews on Amazon now, but when we got to 1,000, um, I did the Mechanical Turk thing. We got someone to copy and paste every single review and star rating, and we did a, a word analysis on it. And what was really interesting is that what the five-star reviews and the one-star reviews most had in common was the word simple. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's fascinating. So you have like, I think it's like 80-something percent, 85% of our reviews are five-star reviews and 81%. And you have a huge percentage of them. And the number one quality they like about the book is that it's simple. This is something I can do. The number one reason that people dismiss the book is they felt like it was too simple. It's just one idea. And they just didn't maybe make it to unpacking the practicality of the simple. Because here's a truth that I've learned in business over now two decades working with Gary. I think that it's easy to be seduced by sophisticated ideas and plans. Mm -hmm. The reality is it's very hard to live them on a day-to-day -day basis. But when things are just dead simple, they're actually very easy to execute. And we think about the biggest corporations, right? Even smart people can't live in complexity for a long time. It allows them to execute and get the results they need to keep moving forward. So simple is often um, misinterpreted as easy or simplistic. It's actually, I think, quite elegant if you can keep something simple. 100%. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. And that, that's some fascinating information there, too. I'd like to, part of me wants to dig deeper into that, but uh, maybe we'll save that for another time. But uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. I, I would love to hear, Jay, if you have any final thoughts for the Creating a Brand listeners today. Um, my challenge to them, uh, you're entrepreneurs, you're trying to build something special. Um, learn from Alex. Um, whatever you thought you were working towards, can you challenge yourself? Can you surround yourself with people that will ask you to think bigger, not just for you, but for the people that are working for you in the future, right? You need to build a dream that's big enough, not just for you, but hopefully to support a lot more people so that it can go on and and be bigger and greater and have more impact. So I first off challenge to think bigger. And then based on that, ask the focusing question. If I'm going to accomplish that, what's the one thing I really need to be doing? And then put that on your calendar. It doesn't have to be a lot more complicated, but doing those steps to maybe enlarge your dream, figure out what your one thing is and just your best guess, don't overanalyze it and then start executing on that. You might be surprised how far that'll take you. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's some action for the Creating a Brand audience to take today. Jay, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Not only was Jay an absolute delight to talk to, but he's also brilliant. As you could tell, this book is one of the greatest entrepreneurship books that I've ever read. I actually have on my whiteboard, which I'm looking at right now as I'm, as I'm recording this, I have the focusing question written down along with the goal setting to the now questions. And if you've not done this practice yet, I encourage you to listen to this episode again and really capture what Jay is saying. Take some notes and put this into practice immediately. To help you get started, Jay was actually kind enough to offer us a handful of resources for free that are going to help you implement everything that we talked about today. I will have a link to those in the show notes. Jay, thank you again for being a guest and sharing your wisdom with us today. To pick up a copy of Jay Papasan's book, The One Thing, and for links to the free resources he's giving us for listening today, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 073. Thank you as always for listening, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.